This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the program. Today I'm playing an excerpt of a recent panel I moderated, sponsored by Granite Telecommunications and Capital Technology University. My guests on the panel were Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category and the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. And Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. This is actually an exciting period in government to where we are looking holistically of how networks are being done. As you're aware, the cyber executive order is out there and the importance of it and being able to move to where our data is is secure. Uh, The network is just uh, one component of that and a key component of securing that. EIS is the catalyst of that modernization to secure that data. If if you don't have the freeway secure uh, to the data, uh, then, then that leaves the government data open up. EIS, we're not just uh, in what GSA is typically thought of as just an acquisition agency. It is not here in the case of EIS. We provide technical support. We provide the guidance of helping agencies not uh, make the pitfall mistakes of whenever you transition services. Uh, And that's extremely important. What's new about EIS is that we are continuously updating it in this case, we're approaching quickly the updating of prices where we can bring new government savings and being able to do that. But in addition, we're adding in new capabilities uh, that is extremely important for moving to that zero trust architect framework. What I'm interested in, Alan, is how has EIS changed over the last few years? You talk about new capabilities, zero trust, savings. What's the change has been? And, and then how are you guys picking what to change and how to change and, and how quickly to change? Because so much is moving, so much is changing, as we've seen with, with Zero Trust. You know, it, it was building, 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 and then all of a sudden the executive order in May really brought it to the crescendo. In my days when I did telecommunication, which was decades ago, it was the phone service. It was that PBX. It was that, you know, Block 10 and being able to patch in the cords and stuff. Even backing up a little bit further, which folks may, Denny may know this, uh, but the patch cords where she actually plugged into the box and you rang the phone, that's how far I go back in telecommunications and what that was in those days. Land mobile radios, those type of things. Today, the network is no longer point-to-point connections. It is integrated with our enterprise, how it works. You cannot get cloud services just based on establishing a line from the cloud into your work center. It is end-to-end. Software-defined networking is extremely important. What we've found as government has moved to the cloud, they found out, oh, let's put it in the cloud. But what would happen is they would get poor services because it was was not done from an end-to-end perspective of how it's provisioned. So it's extremely important to look at EIS as that enabler to do that complete end-to-end integration. All right, there's plenty more to talk to. Now we'll move to your good friend, Amy Hazeltine. Amy, uh, of, uh, first of all, congratulations. I think you have a new title, right? I do. Yeah, uh, Kind of like a tumbleweed, <laughs> another new thing to stretch, uh, stretch one's experience. Very excited, very grateful. 
So you and I got to talk a few months ago, so I was looking back at those notes, and, and uh, it was very exciting uh, from, from a few months ago. So, so tell me something that, that you, it's new since we talked last. All right. Well, I'm actually going to um, anchor my commentary in the way you started our conversation with um, some statistics, uh, because there's some things, frankly, Jason, that are new and some things that are not new. And that's why it's so important to have this conversation about EIS today and about the opportunity that EIS affords uh, all of our agency customers. So what's new? We are making progress government-wide toward that transition. So progress is indeed, indeed being made. Large agencies and small are continuing to push forward and make those transitions happen in a timely fashion. Unfortunately, Jason, what is not new? What is not new is that we are behind our goals, my friend. We've got just about nine months left to the 100% disconnect milestone of September 22. And we are approaching a little less than 18 months to the overall expiration of the legacy contracts. So those timeframes have been in existence a while. But what is new is that we are still far behind. So what are we thinking about? What are we doing about it? Well, a couple different things. Uh, The first is we're encouraging all of our agency partners, our agency customers to really take aim toward EIS. And what does that mean? Taking aim toward EIS means we need to take an honest A for assessment of our current status and B, A, accelerate that progress. I, I stands for inventory. Understand your inventory. GSA has a number of tools to help. We actually are working collaboratively with our CIO colleagues in the community of the chief information officers and our senior procurement executive colleagues in the acquisition community to talk about where that inventory sits and how it is supported by the legacy contracts, what that contractual footprint looks like. So the I is for inventory and understanding that and taking an accelerated approach to strategically getting that moved. And then M, M, my friend, is about mission and mitigation. We do not have a lot of time left because at the end of the day, this is about modernization. And it's really creating, intending to create a safe, secure, sustainable, modernized infrastructure via a $50 billion best-in-class acquisition vehicle. And Making sure folks can transition on time, agencies have to take that aim, so mission is not at risk, and mitigating contingency planning can take place. So those are the big ticket items that are keeping us up at night and busy during the day. All right, so the couple things uh, I want to follow up with you, Amy, on this idea of acceleration. What is GSA doing to help agencies accelerate towards EIS? Because, again, you and I know we've been talking about this for a couple years now. This isn't new. This isn't, oh, no, I forgot I had to hit these deadlines. What is what is what are you able to do to add some fuel to the fire? Two different uh, areas of work that we're focused on, uh, and the first really is derived from some of the big ticket lessons learned during the prior transition, and that is uh, that EIS, as we like to say, it's a game the whole family can play. This is not a technology discussion. This is not an acquisition discussion. It's not even just a CFO discussion. It's an everybody discussion. And so, one of the key strategies that we're employing to help take uh, gain understanding and accelerate progress is to expand the tent in terms of how we communicate and who we communicate to. Uh, We've had a number of different interagency meetings, uh, invited our CIO colleagues, our acquisition colleagues, uh, and in fact, in more recent uh, weeks, have um, done explicit outreach to our senior procurement executive community to make sure that folks are really understanding what it means to make the transition, both from an acquisition policy and an acquisition framework perspective, as well as from that technical expertise. 
The second thing we're doing is we're in, uh, designed a, a project called the raft. Uh, and I think, Jason, you know, I like to have mnemonics to help convey uh, really complex concepts and terms uh, in words that are relevant and resonate with our community and our audience. Uh, so the RAFT stands for the Risk Assessment for Transition, and it's a project uh, that GSA put together to leverage data analytics to help our agencies understand where they are point in time and what it's actually going to take to get where they need to go. What makes this so cool, um, and a lot of things make this cool, but a few things that really energize me. The first is that the data analytics that we use really um, were derived in partnership with our industry partners on the EIS vehicle. We did some consultations with them, did some pilot testing, and asked them some foundational questions like, if you have this many TDM lines, how many months is it going to take you to get to wherever you need to be? Uh, and that information from our industry partners is vital because it helps give our uh, agency customers insight into what that time is. So the process is very simple. Uh, pick up the phone, get in touch with GSA. We schedule something called a raft consultation where GSA sits down in a safe and constructive environment with both the technical team and your procurement team to really understand th from a data analytics perspective where an agency is point in time in their current activities for EIS transition, and then provide them with an independent view, an estimate of how long it's going to take to get them to be completed. Um, our goal there is not really any judgment at all, but it's simply to give you an independent set of data that then an agency can take back and factor into their senior leadership C-suite conversations. Just an independent point in time to look at where you are and where you need to be. Where are you with it? Have you started to provide that service yet? And, and here's the question everyone's going to ask. How much is this going to cost me? And that's the, that's the trick question for you. I love the trick question, and that's an easy answer. Um, it only costs you your time. It and that's only the best costs part. you your time. I know, I know. How many times can you say that in government? No, it only costs you your time. And the true answer is how many um, have we started? Yes. Uh, we've got more than a dozen uh, agencies already underway. Again, the goal here is to create a safe and non-judgmental environment. This is really our agency customers that have to do these major lifts and shifts. Uh, we want to be supportive of those efforts in the way we think we can be most supportive, in addition to the tools and the templates and the assistance that's been provided, uh, in addition to making sure folks have clarity on their inventory, but is really to give you an independent view of what really is on your horizon uh, and how long that might take. And then again, it's really for our agency partners to factor that into those C-suite conversations. Uh, but definitely, yes, let us know if you're interested. Uh, and certainly, if there are any agency customers that happen to be in our audience, I, I welcome you to chime in. I'll add to that. Yeah. One thing that we're also doing, we just started, is we're, we did a joint discussion with the agency and the vendor over each of the task orders that were awarded. And we walked through the status from the vendor of where they were on, on, on that transition progress. And what was important is that for example, one of the topics is chip shortage. Well, will it impact? Will that impact transition? In this case, for this agency, it was not going to impact them. The the vendor said that they were they had that well in hand. It does not mean that's all the case for all though. It's it's a it's a case by case vendor a vendor agency dependency. Uh, but on top of that, we talked about some of the nuances that are very important, the basics of understanding what needs to be transitioned and when those things need to occur. For example for the vendor to actually begin the activities to transition, there has to be the order in place for the, that to occur at the task order level. In this case, 
that understanding that nuance, the executives that were involved in this discussion was not realizing at the at the tactical level, those things weren't being done. And to help ensure that things were being corrected, that now they took that as an action to fix those things. Extremely important. But doing that joint discussion where the vendor, ourself, and the agency was working together to walk through those things, it helped bring to light some of the challenges in those transition. Very important to have that dialogue. In addition, we're con- continuously communicating with the vendors ourselves at GSA to say, give us anything that will help us move the, the ball another yard down the field. And we're, we're having those discussions, better ways for us to improve the processes within, within our order process to actually execute in particular things that are done at the agency level and communicating those things. We've had a number of discussions where a vendor has brought to light a challenge or even agencies. And by bringing, being the bridge of communication has been essential to help alleviate those, those uh, rubs that are preventing transition from happening. We have to take a break. My guests today are Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the GSA, and Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a recent panel I moderated, sponsored by Granite Telecommunications and Capital Technology University. My guests on the panel were Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration, and Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. The one thing I'd follow up with you on is is that discussion, because when I looked at the data, and again, this is the data from, I guess, September 30th, there was a, almost all the fair opportunity solicitations have been out there. They've been through scope review. Many have been awarded. If you look at what's left, it's really just a couple big agencies, DHS, DOD, maybe some onesies and twosies. So that's probably the most important thing happening right now is that you're having these meetings with the vendors as the awards happen. How's that helping agencies move from, okay, we made the award, what do we do next? Or how do we kind of accelerate to go back to what Amy was saying about AIM? How do we kind of meet those three goals or under AIM? What's important in that dialogue is understanding where, where they're going to end at as they move forward, that those, those uh, milestones that need to be accomplished and the orders in which those things need to happen. In this case, for example, in talking with the, the, that through that joint discussion, what was holding them back was more of the tactical type things to ensure once the executives understand that those things need to be accomplished. In addition, from the vendor perspective, we need to understand when their executives also need to understand at their tactical level where things are not going right too. And in this case, we've had agencies reach out to us and say, hey, we're having a challenge. We talk with the vendor's executives. They got in, in and they got them back on track. That's extremely important to keep that dialogue going. Amy, I think one thing I want to go back around to that's important that you mentioned is bringing the community together outside of just the CIOs. And and this is not just a CIO challenge. This is an acquisition community. This is a CFO. There's got to be money. There's got to be senior leadership. How are you connecting those dots and, and what kind of help are you getting from, I don't know, let's say your friends at OMB? Great question. Um, yeah, the, the, the truth is, and Alan really 
uh, touched upon this earlier is that EIS is the game the whole family can play. Industry are vital partners in this conversation and making sure we hear from our industry partners on the EIS vehicle, understand what they're seeing, what they're not seeing, um, understanding trends. Uh, that's vital to informing our conversations with agencies. But within that agency space, we've really tried to push the envelope, if you will, to extend communications to two communities in particular. The first is making sure as we always do, that we've got the CIO community, the technical community, deeply and um, profoundly involved in the EIS transition, because they're the folks that really, at the end of the day, have to make those wires and widgets work. But the other two communities that are really critical here are the CFO community, our budget and resource friends, as well as the acquisition community. So in the meetings that we've been having, and to answer your question about OMB, in partnership with OMB, we bring all three communities together to have this conversation. Because whether you're a technologist or an acquisition policy expert or you're a budget geek, all of those people, all of those communities have to come together to actually get a task order awarded. You gotta have somebody to approve the dollars, you gotta have somebody put the uh, solicitation together and somebody to put all the paperwork together to make sure it happens. And you've gotta have your program and your technical folks to drive the content. So the first thing we've done is to expand that tent and have that conversation with three different communities to kind of push the message and get agencies to have cross-organizational conversations to help them get further faster. So that at the end of the day, if they're struggling to get that task order ordered, it's not simply a technical person's issue or challenge, it's an everybody challenge and everybody can bring resources and acumen to bear to make that happen. In terms of the Office of Management and Budget, I do want to give a shout out to our OMB colleagues. Uh, we have been in deep and uh, continuous communication with OMB, both again at the Office of the Chief Information Officer, as well as the Office of Federal Procurement Policy, OFPP. Uh, and that partnership has been absolutely vital. Um, and we have looped in our colleagues on the RMO side or the B side of the budget office as well. And that trifecta has been vital in not only ensuring that um, we are creating and giving uh, clear and consistent messages to our agency colleagues. Uh, but it's also been vital to really shine the spotlight on what folks need to do when they need to get it done by and how they can help to get that made uh, in a timely fashion. I would like to add to that. Our partnership with OMB has been extremely important, but also the partnership outside the CIO, the CFO and the chief acquisition officers and talking with them. And the thing that we're trying to convey to them is what are the basics that they should understand at the executive level for this transition to be successful. Those agencies who really understand at the executive level, this is what needs to be accomplished. This is the resources we need to apply. And this is the path forward to achieving the success and transition into EIS. Those who understand those basics have been very successful. We've had agencies that have met the transition timelines and moving forward. They're getting those A's moving forward. Those who are challenged, really, uh, really we encourage them to reach out to us. Let's have those discussions, particularly at the exec level of the, the chief information officer, chief financial officer, and chief acquisition officers. So they really understand these are the things we should be looking forward to being done and where, where they can pivot to help expedite those uh, the transition to EIS. One thing occurs to me as you or talking about the discussions with the outside the CIO community, do, do they give you more than lip service, Alan? And I know that's a little bit of a loaded question because you're not going to tell me that they, they just give me lip service, but, but how do you know they're sincere? How do you know that they understand what's at risk here? 
how do you know that they're just uh, saying we will accelerate this because we understand why we need to accelerate, not just because GSA has a deadline, because OMB is jumping up and down and, and yelling and Congress has a Fatara scorecard. What kind of sense do you get that, that they understand that uh, I'll use the term different this time? That's a great question. I, I would say I'm going to I'm going to say that it really depends upon the understanding of the one-on-one that needs to be accomplished, the basic one-on-ones. And and once they start understanding, and we've had conversation with agencies that sat there and said, yeah, we're going to get it done. But once we help the executives understand this is really what's going to happen and this is what it looks like, and Amy and team have done a wonderful job of talking, working with OMB and talking to these agencies, really laying it out. That is why the RAF process that Amy and team have put together is tremendous in helping bring that visibility and understanding to those executives within the agency. Yeah, I think Alan is spot on here, Jason. The raft project, and, and to answer your question of how do we know, we know because we watch the agents' reactions go, aha. And then there's that long pause, and they go, oh my. And then they say thank you, and then they go back to the agencies and they have a different type of conversation. It really is and has been for many agencies a moment of epiphany, a moment of the aha. You know, and I didn't think of the adding the aha to my take aim, but but that is the reality. I think the other side of the coin here is in our conversations with the senior procurement executive community uh, and being able to speak to how this notion of inventory really translates from a contractual perspective, we've seen another aha there. And so I think we are gaining traction. I think that the messaging is really resonating. I do know, though, that we can't change time. And therefore, what I'm hoping, and it's a season and a holiday season of hoping, is that the aha turns into accelerate. Um, but I think we're making some progress. And that would be the question to our friends in industry who, uh, you know, maybe we could uh, spur them to ask a good question here. Can they handle that acceleration, right? Can, can uh, if, if all of a sudden 12, 15, 20, 30 agencies go, all right, let's go from zero to 60, can industry do that? Now, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll say, here we go. This will help us spur them. Maybe they can't do it. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe industry is the problem. That will get them going, maybe. But well, how is GSA preparing for that challenge if, if that acceleration happens? From the vendor perspective of the challenge, and this is where government can kind of get in its own way, the vendor really needs to understand what the inventory is, as Amy pointed out. They need to understand what can and can't be moved now. We sometimes put priorities on things that maybe the vendor themselves can't accomplish at that time frame. So what I highly recommend is to have that conversation with the vendor who is transitioning and saying, what can we expedite now versus something that might need a little bit further planning? For example, if I have a site that requires construction and no matter how much I prioritize that as a site to be done now, it's not going to happen. The laws of physics can't be defied. And stuff. And so things have to be accomplished and stuff. So it's important to have that real true up of what can and can't be done in your inventory in, in taking consideration, making sure we execute on time those things that's necessary for the for that perfect transition. We know that perfect transitions don't happen, except in a perfect world, which we don't live in. 
We have to take a break. My guests today are Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the GSA, and Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a recent panel I moderated, sponsored by Granite Telecommunications and Capital Technology University. My guests on the panel were Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration, and Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. One of the things that you brought up, Alan, I thought, and, and Amy referred to this in, in part of AIM, is that inventory piece. Has, has that continued to be a challenge for agencies to understand what they have and what needs to be moved? I, I was under the impression that that was done maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago at the beginning of EIS. Now, I know things change. There's always more. You always discover more, and it's, it's inventory is never a – it's done today. It's not done tomorrow, but, but – is that the biggest challenge that, that remains is understanding what you have and what needs to be moved? One of the things as agencies, how fast they transition in provision and services on the legacy contracts versus EIS can determine any nuances needs to be changed. For example, if I have a task order order on EIS and it's taken me a long time to get out the gate for particular areas of new services that's necessary to be stood up, and I turn around and I go to the legacy contract says, hey, let's stand them up. That now becomes another item that's added to my list of items to transition. So from the, the time the contract is let and that freeze of that moment, any changes that occur from that point on are additional things that have to be factored in transition. And, and so if I go stand up new services that are necessary on the legacy contracts, I have to take accountability, not just from a mechanics of the vendor transition. I also have to take the necessary contractual acquisition steps to ensure those things are added to the contract, the new task order, EIS task order, and transition those things too. That adds more things that are movement. So what we, in our, our approach is to create those, we put freezes in place and say, only make necessary changes you must make for mission needs. Don't make a bunch of changes because of convenience. And I think to kind of um, add and supplement Alan's important commentary, um, yes, GSA had taken time. And one of the great lessons learned was to really hone down and be able to articulate inventory for the customers. So they understood that. So you're right, Jason, Was that that's not a new thing per se. But what is different, um, and this has really been the mantra of the team over the course of the summer, is to make sure that the words we use are relevant and resonate to all different kinds of communities. So my me walking into a cocktail party and talking about 7 million circuits across the federal government, I'm not sure how long I'm going to be invited to stay. But if I walk into a room and say, you know, those 7 million circuits are spread across over 100 different contracts, then the procurement community in the room, they're going to go, oh, wait a minute, 100 different contracts, that's a whole different discussion because it's meaningful and it resonates. And so part of the expanded communication is to take the great work that GSA had done before, to take the knowledge we have related to inventory, and exactly to Alan's point, create enough understanding that Agencies can make strategic decisions about it, 
whether they're looking at it from an acquisition perspective, a technical perspective, or frankly, a mission perspective. And our job is to create words and to create concepts and create dialogue so that no matter where you come into this process and no matter how you touch upon this project, you're going to understand just what's at stake. One of the things that kind of comes up time and again is how is GSA approaching the transition differently? And and you mentioned Raft. I think that's a good example. Alan mentioned the idea of meeting, uh, bringing together the vendor, the agency customer, and GSA to kind of work out, okay, where do we need to go? How is it going to go next? Are there other steps you all have taken or plan to take to help accelerate this? So one additional part of the broader Raft, which we didn't have a chance to touch upon, but is new and will be, already is, Uh, coming to a theater near you, is that the raft is really divided into two parts. The first is really getting an understanding and assessing where you are point in time and how and what you need to do to get where you need to be. Um, But the second component of that raft discussion centers around what we have designed as an acquisition decision framework, um, because we recognize that given where we are, and I think this is really embracing reality, there are some agencies that are going to do great and make it. There are other agencies that are going to really have to push very, 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 very hard. Not enough varies I can even add in that sentence. And so our discussions center around not only accelerating progress, but really about contingency planning and mitigation strategies. And so the decision framework for acquisition is really intended to give people then a tool to take back and go, okay, now that we know where we are point in time, now that we know the you know, 50, 60 different steps that need to take place, and now we understand our risk, what are the conversations we can have within the agency to make good choices about acquisitions now so that we don't run into the risk of uh, having mission interrupted. And so that is absolutely a tool that we will continue to talk about and probably um, accelerate our external communications with both the technical community and the acquisition community. And of course, always invite and include our resource community as well. So that would be one example. The other dialogue we're having with both industry and agency is that lean forward thinking approach of how they do transition And what are the types of activities they can do now in this transition that sets them up for that future state uh, uh, network infrastructure that's necessary to support that zero trust architecture framework? And that's extremely important because if I'm putting the TDM circuit in again, I'm not moving the ball. Why do that? Let's talk to the vendor. Let's make sure that we, is it really necessary from a transition perspective? Or can we move it to a newer technology, i.e. broadband or something else, that allows that zero trust uh, architecture to be inserted into what we're doing for future state? Let's not make it to where we're having to do rework. The more we do like for like in terms of technologies without a pathway to the, to the future state, the more work we're going to add in future modernization still. So some agencies have made the decision to do like for like. Some made the decision to do like for like with transition to modernization and some which are going straight to modernization. Depending on the appetite of risk will determine how much. Obviously, doing a straight from legacy to modernization creates a greater risk from a transition perspective. But if the vendor can come in and execute those, those things and we at government make sure we enable them to give them all the resources necessary for that transition, then, then we can achieve that modernization. Uh, there are some agencies that are taking that approach and they're showing positive modernization straight out the gate and achieving those objectives. 
and even though maybe the inventory might still show some slower end because of waiting for all those activities to occur, what's going to happen is you're going to see this big drop in inventory because they've done the necessary groundwork to move to that new modernized infrastructure. You almost read my mind, Alan, because I was just going to bring up that, that let's take a half a step back from EIS. Unfortunately, though, I'm going to go back to Amy because uh, the raft is a fascinating discussion. I think it's, it's a great uh, tool. So the acquisition decision framework, maybe walk through that a little bit, Amy. So it's, it's, it's a framework. It tells me if I have this, then I do that, I'm sure, or some, something yeah, similar like to that. It's like a decision tree. Yes, exactly. And, and how, um, how's it? Because because if I've made my if I've made my fair opportunity solicitation award already, so yep. I've I've done the acquisition that that piece of that acquisition. What does this What does this help me do? Or is this for people who haven't made or agencies that haven't made their award yet? It actually is intended to support a variety of different um, perspectives that come to the table. But in particular, as you indicated, if you are one of those agencies that may not have made all of your uh, completed all your solicitations or uh, completed all your task order awards, uh, then this is intended to help you through truly through an if then set of scenarios uh, guide as to what acquisition options may be available. GSA is simply trying to create a framework or a method that gives agencies ideas. Um, Each agency, uh, and I've been in the acquisition space even before I came to GSA, um, but each agency approaches acquisitions through its own lens, and that is the appropriate way, of course, to do that. They've got limitations based on their own internal regulatory uh, framework requirements, appropriations requirements, et cetera. So we're not telling folks go left, go right, go center. But what we do want to provide them with is a decision tree that allows them to walk through it with us if they wish, but also to allow them to walk through it with their agency C-suite executives and their broader team so that they are empowered with all of what we know um, and can then overlay that knowledge with their own agency-specific sets of uh, parameters and uh, processes. Um, But it is at least that we found so far, an incredibly enlightening discussion um, because, uh, and, and this is just, you know, the, the holiday honest truth, time is of the essence. And, and frankly, the longer it takes for agencies to accelerate progress, the harder it will be to get where they need to go. And the more limited the choices may become in terms of designing those acquisition contingency strategies. And so we really have emphasized the raft because the faster folks jump in the raft with us, the better they have that independent view and that independent data, and the better and, and more empowered they are than to go have other kinds of conversations within the space of their own agency. We have to take a break. My guests today are Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the GSA, and Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing an excerpt of a recent panel I moderated, sponsored by Granite Telecommunications and Capital Technology University. My guests on the panel were Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration, and Amy Hazeltine, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. Alan, let me go back to something you were talking about, which is the like-for-like. That's a story I've done 
maybe a year, year and a half ago about this, this concern from industry about like for like. It's maybe hard to give me specific percentages, but how many agencies are taking the like for like? How many are taking the modernization? Do you get a sense of, of where, what the trends are? I couldn't pinpoint a number, but most of the agencies have modernizations incorporated into their solicitation. The, the question is, is, do they do a like for like with immediate modernization or do they go straight to modernization? There are a few that have done like for like with the plans to look long-term down the line and, and, and uh, handle that differently. One of the things, and let me get to one of my uh, stomp points here on legacy technologies. Even with our discussion with the agency and the vendor was about TDM. It's got to go. There's no more life support for it. It's, it's at the point that it's not supported. It can't. It, and nor does it help us achieve what we need for the cloud and being able to provide the kind of capabilities to, zero, to, to do zero trust architect to even do software-defined network efficiently, effectively. The basics of being able to modernize your infrastructure, you have to move to a software-defined network. To do that, you have to provide the types of technologies that support that. And being able to support that, TDM is not in that mix. And when, when we're talking with the agencies and they're still looking at TDM as a solution to continue, that's not a something that's sustainable five, 10 years. That is now, it's got to get off your inventory. And so if I am a CIO, I'm going to look at everywhere I have TDM and I'm going to say, I need to converge my network to where data and uh, voice is combined and leverage unified communications as a service, as, a, as an example, moving away from those old PBXs. Move it. If I'm sitting there plugging in, still plugging up analog lines, I'm going the wrong direction. This is why and where the industry partnership is so, so, so important. Because Alan, incredibly articulate speaker. Amy, pretty decent speaker. We could say that a million times, but it's when our industry partners say it, that people have that aha moment. Oh, you mean you're not going to give that to me anymore? Nope. And, and so I think Alan's point here is, is foundational to how we get the aha, how we therefore get the accelerated, and, and how that really makes EIS, um, you know, sort of the sea change. Safe, secure, sustainable, efficient, cost-effective savings, but really a world that is focused on a greater level of agility for our workforce and for our mission. And our industry partners are really helpful in communicating that particular piece. Alan, what are some of those trends you are seeing across the EIS task orders? I mean, I think we've talked before and software-defined networking is a big one. You know, is that still a big trend? Are you seeing more requests for 5G? What, what, what are some of the things you are seeing? And maybe it's a better question for Amy, whomever is best. It, it's a combination of both. So moving to wireless capabilities, broadband, um, uh, in addition to software-defined wide area network. Software-defined wire area network is the foundation of where our infrastructure needs to move to. In uh, in getting out of that legacy approach of of OC12s, point to points, things like that. Uh, making moving our moving the network to a, an intent based type approach to where we where it can be smart, uh, uh, leveraging artificial intelligence, machine learning, make our infrastructure smart so that as we surge in needs of capabilities of being able to process business requirements that our network is able to uh, be elastic in nature and move up and down. 
uh, moving to, uh, you know, for example, uh, some of the services we're adding on to EIS is a secure access service at, uh, edge. Moving to SaaS, extremely important. That is that zero trust all all embodied into a software defined network being able to uh, leverage those things get away from the wired uh you know uh not just 5g but wi-fi 6 and the next iteration of it oh uh, we right now most of our infrastructure is cat 5e okay from a long-term perspective why invest in cat 6 plus cabling it's it's going to require major infrastructure uh investments for that Move to wireless. We're doing today. You know, most people are don't even plug into a cable anymore. Why do that? We're able to do it secure and safely today. So let's move to the technology that doesn't, doesn't require that large infrastructure uh, of technology that's no longer needed. All right. I think I think the other thing piece of this that we've seen, and, and I'm, I'm hesitant to go down this path too much, is obviously the pandemic. We've talked a lot about it. I think we're ad nauseum about talking about the pandemic. That's also opened the idea or the aperture of a lot of agencies of what they need and what's important to them. And then that also required, I think, agencies to relook at their their plans a little bit too. Is is that have they been, if you will, updated, revamped a little bit over the last over this summer? The the, the transition plans? Well, the short answer is yes, um, and I think for a variety for a variety of reasons. One of which is that uh, you know the summer of 2021 um, is just that much closer to May of 2023. Uh, secondarily, as you aptly described, uh, our our country, our world has gone through something many people never thought they would ever see, and it has required a degree of agility of our workforce and of our mission uh, that really has to be anchored in a strong technical infrastructure. Uh, and NEIS really is an incredibly important vehicle to help them get to where they need to be. So I think uh, to Alan's point, you know, we while we do see instances of like for like, um, for better or for worse, the pandemic has changed the way we see the world. And therefore, I, as, as agencies are really examining the timeframes that they need to get things done, they are taking a more strategic approach to what they need to do. And I think at least from my engagement with them, they're more open to examining um, a different way of doing business. Uh, And EIS, um, thank goodness, is designed to help make that happen. That's all the time we have for today. For this program, I played an excerpt of a recent panel I moderated, sponsored by Granite Telecommunications and Capital Technology University. My guests were Alan Hill, the Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Category Management in the Office of the IT Category in the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration, and Amy Hazeltine, Deputy Assistant Commissioner for Acquisitions, also in the Office of the IT Category in FAS at GSA. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.